Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight we're going to begin a new book, the book of Ecclesiastes. So please open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, right after Proverbs, right before the Song of Solomon. We're continuing through the wisdom books. Because isn't it good to get wisdom from the Lord to live our lives instead of depending on our own wisdom or, on, or even on the wisdom of others? You know, God has this eternal perspective that we don't have. He also knows man so well that nothing gets by him and everything that we need to know about living this life we find in the Scriptures. So if you're wondering what the meaning of life is, as the title suggests tonight, that's going to be the theme of this book. But you're not going to find out what the answer is until the very end. So just like a good movie, you have to hang in there till the very end. You can read the last chapter if you want. You can, you can read ahead. But it's good to go through the process. It's good, it's good to go through the, uh, the journey, so to speak. So what is the meaning of life? I mean, I'm sure you've been asked that or you've thought about that or it's a question that's come up in school, during philosophy classes. And a lot of people have a lot of different answers. A few quotes that I found, one of them by Joseph Campbell says, Life has no meaning. Each of us has meaning, and we bring it to life. It is a waste to be asking the question when you are the answer. That's interesting. Another quote, You will never be happy if you continue to search for what happiness consists of. You will never live if you are looking for the meaning of life. That's interesting, too, because that's pretty much what Solomon does throughout this whole book. It's really a search. It's a search for significance, a search for meaning. Another quote, we could probably relate to this, life is problems, living is solving problems. Sounds like just every day, day to day, there's always something new to deal with. There's always another problem that, that crops up. And there's always, try, always that search and trying to find the solution to those problems. <clears throat> Herman Hess says, I believe that I am not responsible for the meaning, meaningfulness or the meaninglessness of life but that I am responsible for what I do with the life I've got. That's an interesting perspective. I think I can agree on some level with that. God's given us life, 
He's also given us his word. But what we do to make application is, is really, uh, that, will de- that will be the meaning of life. What we do with what we have um, from the Lord. Max Lucado says, Philosophers can debate the meaning of life, but you need a Lord who can declare the meaning of life. See, we can have friendly discussions, debates about the life, about the meaning of life, but only the Lord, through His Word, can actually declare what it is. That's the authority that we need to go to. And then those great philosophers, uh, Jagger and Richards, said, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no. I can't get no. So... Doesn't matter who you are, what walk of life, you've probably asked that question. What is life? What is its meaning? How can I truly be satisfied? Some may ask, how can I truly be happy? What I love about this book is that it does the hard work for us. Solomon did the heavy lifting, so to speak. So we don't have to. I want to show a short video. If you can hit the, uh, the lights. I want to show a short video here as an introduction. We're exploring three books in the Bible known as the wisdom literature. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And they're all asking the question, what does it mean to live well in this world? So we've looked at Proverbs, who you could think of as a bright young teacher. She's all about pursuing wisdom, an attribute of God that's woven into reality. And she's optimistic that if you use wisdom, you will build a successful life. But then we come to Ecclesiastes, who's more like this sharp middle-aged critic. And he says, You think using wisdom will bring you success. You'd better think again, because life here under the sun is meaningless. And that's a phrase he uses a lot in this book. But to understand this book, we have to realize first that we're hearing two voices. So first there's the teacher, and we've been calling him the critic. He's the main voice in the book. But he is introduced to us by another figure, the author. And he's the one who's collected the critic's words, and then at the end of the book summarizes everything and gets the final word. So why does the author want us to hear from the critic? Well, he wants to turn your view of the world upside down, and he's going to let the critic explore three really disturbing things about the world. And we should warn you, these are pretty intense. Yeah. So the first is the march of time, or as the critic says... Generations come and generations go, but the earth, it's been here long before us and will be long after. No one remembers people from long ago and all the people yet to come, they too will be forgotten by those who come after them. So on a cosmic scale, you and I, we are just a blip. Stars are born, and then they die and form planets which orbit new stars. And those planets, they change over time and eventually burn up. And amidst this cosmic backdrop, 
my entire existence is like a blink in time. Which leads to the critic's second disturbing observation that we are all going to die. Humans face the same fate as the animals. Death. All people. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, those who offer sacrifices to God and those who do not. They all share the same destiny. All this activity and madness, then we all join the dead. Man, this book is depressing. And so is the final disturbing thing for the critic, and that is life's random nature. So in Proverbs, life isn't random. There's a clear cause and effect relationship between doing the right thing and being rewarded. But the fact is that life doesn't always work that way. The critic has observed a glitch in the system. He calls it chance, or in his words, the race doesn't always go to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food always come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the educated. Time and chance happen to them all. So his point is that you can't really control anything in life. It's just way too unpredictable. So if I want to master life... Then you're setting yourself up for a fall. Now, throughout the book, the critic uses a metaphor to tie together all of these disturbing ideas. Nearly 40 times, he says that everything in life is hevel. It's a Hebrew word that means smoke or vapor. Like smoke, life is beautiful and mysterious. It takes one shape, and before you know it, it takes a new shape. And smoke looks solid, but try and grab it, it'll slip right through your fingers. And when you're stuck in the thick of it, like fog, it's impossible to see clearly. Now our modern translations have lost the metaphor, and they usually translate hevel as meaningless. But if you read closely, the critic isn't saying that life has no meaning, but rather that its meaning is never clear. Like smoke, life is confusing, it's disorienting and uncontrollable. So what are we supposed to do with all of this? Well, surprisingly, the critic first of all acknowledges the perspective of Proverbs. He says it's a really good idea to learn wisdom and to live in the fear of the Lord. Really? I mean, he just said that doesn't guarantee success. But he knows it's the right thing to do. But secondly, and more often, he says that since you can't control your life, you should stop trying. Learn to hold things with an open hand because you really only have control over one thing, and that's your attitude towards the present moment. Stop worrying, he says, and choose to enjoy a good conversation with a friend, or the sun on your face, or a good meal with people that you care about. The simple things in life. Yes, and both the good things and the bad, because both are rich gifts from God. And that's the surprising wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Listening to the critic is painful and can lead you into some dark places. And that's why the author speaks up at the end of the book. He doesn't want you to lose hope. He wants to make you humble into someone who trusts that life has meaning even when you can't make sense of it, that one day God will clear the heaven and bring his justice on all that we've done. And so he tells us that the proper response to all of this is to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And that's the book of Ecclesiastes. So, <clears throat> as you can see, a lot about this book can uh, be somewhat depressing because if we read it strictly the way it's been written down without giving much thought to whether this is biblical, this is what God wants, but just, uh, just taking the facts, 
uh, as they're presented to us, there's a lot of really difficult parts to this book. Through the journey that Solomon takes, we see the things that he has tried to do to achieve meaningfulness in life. We see the attempts that he's made, and we'll delve deeply into a lot of them, because isn't it better that he went before us and did all this work than for us to have to try to do it ourselves and still come to the same conclusion? The conclusion, as that uh, it said at the end, is that really the main thing is to love God and obey him. So in this introduction, we get to see that the author is Solomon. The title, Ecclesiastes, means preacher, but it can also be translated searcher because the author has searched all over life and observed every philosophy, every action, every activity of man in order to find life's meaning. But he does so many times with a spirit of despair and hopelessness. He rarely shows us much in the way of satisfaction or peace. The purpose of this book, as recorded and given to us, is to take us on this quest with Solomon. It takes us down every conceivable road to find out what this life is all about, where we can attain true satisfaction, peace, happiness. And like I said already, that's a good thing. Because since Solomon has already done it, we don't have to. And you'll see some of the things that he tries, we wouldn't want to try. So the fact that he's done it before us is a good thing. Again, we kind of know already what his conclusion is. In the beginning of the book, though, we're introduced to his hypothesis. So... What is his hypothesis? He puts it right there in verse 2 of chapter 1. In that verse, we kind of join Solomon on this quest for life's meaning. And each step we take with him, there are times when we may come to the same conclusion. This book is actually going to require you to give it some thought afterwards. It would be really good to read ahead or to read after you come to the teaching and to take notes and to see what you, how you observe what Solomon takes us through. There's one key word throughout the whole book, and that key word is vanity. In verse 2 of chapter 1, he, he, he lays it out right away. He says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So what is vanity? Solomon, who may have been the richest and wisest man who ever lived, discovered that neither great riches nor great intellect could bring true meaning to life. He basically came to the conclusion that life only brings emptiness. This word vanity occurs 37 times in this book. And it means emptiness, futility, meaninglessness. 
So Solomon basically says 37 different times, life is basically meaningless. It's empty. It's futile. But he also comes to the conclusion that nothing in this life will truly satisfy. No material thing, no activity, no amusement, no recreation, no diversion can really bring true satisfaction. And not even any relationship. And we'll see that Solomon tried all of them. And none could bring true meaning and significance. But thankfully, thankfully, we don't remain there. We don't remain in the despair of that, of that conclusion or that hypothesis that life is, is empty and meaningless. Jesus promised us in John 10.10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So we see the promise of God there, that there's something more to this life than what we can search out. Key phrase throughout the book, under the sun, under the sun. Very, very important phrase. Because Solomon's hypothesis is based on this phrase, under the sun. It's used 29 times. And the meaning of that phrase is it's basically the natural carnal existence without giving thought or consideration to the things of God. It's just the normal way people go about their day-to-day. And what we find out in our true search, in our honest search for significance, is that there's a God-shaped hole in each of our, our hearts and that only God can fill that hole. No power, no prestige, no pleasure can do that. They're all limited and they're all temporary. And honestly, those things will eventually pull us away from God. So when we see under the sun, Solomon is talking about here things on this earthly plane, things on a horizontal level. Now, I I like this opposite phrase, and that's under the sun, S-O-N, under the sun. You see, because life becomes meaningful. Life becomes significant when Jesus Christ is in the center of it. See, Solomon looks at things horizontally. He eventually gets to recognizing that true meaning and significance comes from a vertical relationship, a relationship with the true and living God. And thank goodness he does, because like that video said, it would be terrible to leave us kind of in that state of despair and hopelessness. Now, he uses a certain type of method in this search. He uses experimental observation. He basically uh, experiments with everything and anything that he could get his hands on, and he works out all the different possibilities. It's his, the, the whole book really is his final report on the results of this experiment. You see, Solomon is seeking the answer to life's meaning by performing 
various experiments, but I have a warning. Don't try these at home because they can get you in a lot of trouble. And we'll see that as wise as Solomon was, a lot of times he just didn't take his own advice. You know, we went through the book of Proverbs and we saw all the different times that Solomon said some very, very wise things. And yet we'll see in this book and we see in the historical account that I'll make reference to over the time that we're studying these 12 chapters, we'll see that Solomon many times did not take his own counsel. And its results were um, disastrous. So the hypothesis, all is vanity. And then he proceeds to prove or disprove that hypothesis through personal experience of all that life under the sun has to offer. And I mean everything. He tries it all. So let's see some of the things that he tries in this experiment. He tries to seek satisfaction and answers to the questions of life in science, the laws of nature. In verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it, it arose. And Solomon comes to the conclusion that the earth is eternal, but man is temporal. Man is born and he lives, but eventually he dies, and then a new generation comes in his place. He references throughout this search of science, the earth, the sun, the wind. He speaks of rivers and seas. And although he makes some valid scientific theories, or he proves some, he misunderstands one thing throughout this search, and that is the nature of man made in the image of God and the relationship that God wants with each one of us. So he looks at the nat that nature, the laws of nature, he looks at science, but he misunderstands the nature of man within that. He goes on and he searches wisdom and philosophy. In verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind. So we're going to hear that phrase a lot throughout the book, grasping at the wind. You know, you try to grasp at the wind, you come up empty-handed. He basically is saying, I set my heart to be the wisest person alive. And yet, I came up empty. I came up empty. Solomon discovers in his search through wisdom and philosophy that man is broken. Man is, man is broken, which is an accurate discovery. And no amount of philosophy or intellect can change that. See, he comes to the right conclusion a lot. And it's only at the end of the book that we see the answer to those problems. He says that wisdom or intellect and philosophy are limited. They can bring you only so far in your search for meaning. But they will come up short. And that satisfaction doesn't increase with the increase of knowledge. He goes on in his search as we go through this journey with him, he tries pleasure. 
He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. Now, when we get deep into this study, you're going to see what kind of things Solomon tried to do. Tried to do uh, to enjoy pleasure, to find meaningfulness in life. But he finds out that pleasure is vanity. You know, the pursuit of pleasure. He probably spent, in today's economy, billions of dollars and months and months of time experimenting with various forms of pleasure. We call that hedonism, which is basically the pursuit of pleasure, sensual self-indulgence. It's the theory that pleasure is the highest good and the proper aim of human life. That basically, that is the reason for life, to attain pleasure. That that is the goal of life. And he does everything that he can to try to prove that to be true. And we're going to take that journey with him. But you guys know that that won't do it, that that shouldn't be the ultimate goal. And then he tries materialism. He tries the living for the accumulation of possessions. And it's been said that Solomon was the richest man who ever lived. And we're going to look through some of the things that he accumulated over the course of his lifetime. The houses, the uh, livestock, the, the wealth, the jewels all of the riches. We're going to see all of those things. He, he says in chapter 2, verse 21, for there's a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. You can work hard even for wealth. And then yet, you know, eventually you're going to, you're going to die and you're going to leave your wealth to someone else. And he says, this is also a vanity and a great evil. Of course, someone who's the wealthiest man who ever lived would think that leaving his stuff to someone who hasn't worked for it would be evil. You know, we we would like to leave an inheritance to to our children, but not at the cost of making that the most important thing. Reality is that God wants us to be happy. He does. He really does. So again, not staying in the despair of Solomon's uh, experiment, but understanding God does want us to be happy, but not in the worldly sense. He wants to bring joy into our lives through a relationship with Him. It says in Psalm sixteen, eleven, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. There we go. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's where we have our true significance and our true meaning in life. And then he goes on. He searches out for for meaning. And he he 
finds fatalism, which is basically the belief that all events are predetermined and therefore inevitable. We have no control. And you know these verses, you know chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, a famous song was written, turn, 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 many years ago. To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. So we will examine this. We will examine God's will. We'll examine the fact that God is sovereign, right, over all things, against the day-by-day ongoing mercy and grace that He extends to us. Because it doesn't seem like everything is predetermined. It seems like things happen to us sometimes on a daily, daily basis that we, wouldn't, we, would, we could not expect. So we need God in our lives on a daily basis. This allows us to see that God is the author of time and He's sovereign in all things. And instead of restlessness in that, we can actually take consolation in that. We can actually take consolation. See, this thought of fatalism goes really against the free will of man and the operation of the Holy Spirit. It presupposes that since everything has been predetermined, there's no need for an ongoing relationship with the Lord. But we know through prayer, we gain comfort. God hears our prayer. We see lives being changed, circumstances, trials, difficulties we get through because of prayer. So that ongoing relationship is something that's really important to meaningfulness in life. Solomon goes on and he searches out self-centeredness, the vanity of selfish toil. He says, again, I saw that uh, that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This is also vanity and grasping for the wind. Solomon realized that even success can bring emptiness and futility because for a lot of people, it's just an opportunity for them to envy you, right? So your success can even, can even bring that. See, we can't get too caught up on what people think of us. And that's what Solomon had a problem with. That kind of attitude is destructive, and it's self-deceiving. So we need to put our sights outside of ourselves and on others. And that's where our relationship with Jesus Christ comes in, because he's our example He seeks meaningfulness and significance in religion. Chapter 5, verse 1, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. See, religion is different from relationship. Relationship is more than just religious observances. True worship and reverence for God 
is what will keep us on the right track. Even under the sun, even on this plane, relating to others, relationship with God is the most important thing. And we talk also about, you know, hearing more than talking. Even within the context of of, uh, our gatherings together, it's better to to listen or to hear. There's a quote by, that I found. J. Edwin Orr used to advise brief, earnest prayers, especially in prayer meetings. He said that when one prays in a meeting, his first, for his first three minutes, everyone prays with him. Should he continue a second three minutes, everyone prays for him. Should he continue for a third three minutes, others start to pray against him. So I thought that that was an interesting perspective on the fact that we should be listening even as we gather together with one another more than, more than talking. He also searches out wealth to see if that can bring satisfaction. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 6, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun and is common among men a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that he lacks nothing for himself of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity vanity and an evil affliction. Wealth cannot satisfy. Solomon does the hard work for us. Psalm 49, verses 6 and 7 says, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. It can't save us. It can't bring us into a right relationship with the Lord. We'll explore the vastness of Solomon's wealth and see that it could not and did not bring him meaning and happiness or significance. And then the last thing that we'll see that he searches out is morality and godly wisdom. And really, the last few chapters of the book, um, we'll see a lot of his search for wisdom. Just like we saw throughout the Proverbs, but we see a lot of his search for morality and wisdom. He says in verse 15 of chapter 7, I've seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs life in wickedness. Sometimes life just isn't fair, right? Don't we experience that? Sometimes it seems as though there's no difference between a righteous person and a wicked person. Solomon sees that. This is his observation. But, you know, he's, he's become cynical over the years. And this is, this is the journey that he takes. This book was probably written toward the end of Solomon's life, after all of his accomplishments and all of his life lived in search for meaning. And he's become somewhat cynical. He believes, like many, that moderation and balance in all things is best and safest. And that's the way to live. I think 
personally, that brings compromise. Balance and moderation in all things can sometimes bring compromise. It can take us down a dangerous road and a road that sometimes we can't recover from. Solomon has seen all levels of morality and immorality, wisdom and foolishness in his days under the sun. He wrote much of the book of Proverbs based on those observations and God's inspiration. See, just like Solomon, who sees little difference between the righteous and the wicked and understands that sometimes life isn't fair, we can think the same way. But we shouldn't become cynical in those things. See, we know that under the sun, life is not fair. Things happen that we don't expect. Good people, um, you know, uh, lose a battle with cancer while the wicked prospers. And we think to ourselves that just this is not the way it should be. Tragedies and disasters happen. But we shouldn't become cynical because we have to understand that in God's economy, he's going to set everything straight. That he loves us. He's given us free will. And he's going to set all things right. A couple of takeaways in our introduction, just kind of the conclusion. <clears throat> and I went to... Uh, a commentary that I like by Warren Wearsby called Be Satisfied. And he gives us four takeaways from Solomon's search. And I'm just going to put them out there for you. Life is, life is an adventure. Live by faith. Life is an adventure. Live by faith. So our relationship with God is really where we gain the most significance in life. Where we're going to see him take us to places that we could never take ourselves. And you guys know, when you're obedient to the Lord, when you're serving Him, when you're serving others, you do things, you experience things that you could never find out any other way than having a relationship with the Lord. Live by faith. Life is a gift. Enjoy it. Jesus said, I've come to give you an abundant life. This life is meant for us to enjoy. It's a gift from God. Our job is to find out how He wants us to use the gifts that He's given us in the lives of others and then, and then really gain great satisfaction and enjoyment from that. Life is a school. Learn your lessons. We know that. Sometimes the lessons come in the most difficult times of our life, don't they? It's never the easy... It's never when things are going great. It's never when life is smooth. When we look back at our trials and our difficulties, we know that that's where we've learned the greatest lessons in this life. And then life is stewardship. Fear God. Honor God. Give Him the reverence that He deserves. You know, Solomon, the searcher, recorded this search, this journey, with the hope that we would be able to find our way out of the troubles, the trials, and the pitfalls of this life before it's too late. His hope 
was that we would find the true meaning of life before we leave this earth. So those four things, those four takeaways I like because if you notice, they happen all toward the end of the book, the last couple of chapters. But when we, as we go through this journey, just realize that there's, there's, there is going to be a happy ending. There's going to be times of despair and discouragement. There's going to be times where you think, yeah, life really stinks. And I, don't, I can't really see through this cloud that I'm in right now. But God has the answers, and, and uh, stick with us till the end, and we'll get there. Why don't we pray? You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.